You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. So this is section three or session three of the gift of risk, something we all enjoy from the Lord, one of our favorite gifts. And this is the story of Joseph. And it's subtitled Trusting Our God. And it's something we can learn from the story of Joseph. And I'm going to borrow from Linda's teaching last week on uh, Mary. Well, she looked at Mary's life through three criteria. Um, the, the, the first was identity, who Mary really is and was. And then the second was belief. And the third was obedience. And I think we can use those three criteria in looking at Joseph's life, too. Um, when I first looked at this topic, I thought there's not going to be a whole lot to say because Joseph isn't in the Bible very much, and especially in the art of identity, and I couldn't have been more wrong. So uh, I hope you'll just stay with me on this. Um, as far as Joseph's identity goes, we find it in just two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. He's not in Mark. He's not in John, except for one verse I'll get to later. Um, and really, his story ends pretty early in both of those Gospels. And I have attempted to harmonize Matthew and Luke. And I did this so that it'd be a little bit more orderly looking at Joseph's life, and we can do it kind of chronologically. But there's a problem with doing that, and that is that we have to jump back and forth between Matthew and Luke throughout. So I hope you can stay with me. I also want to apologize. I, I, I plan ahead usually really well. Most of the worship team should be laughing at this point, but they're not. Um, so on Friday, it occurred to me that maybe I should have some slides for Michelle to put up on the board. And so I, uh, I gave her just three scriptures, and I'm going to be reading a lot more scriptures. So I apologize that you don't have more up on, on the screen, but follow along with me. I'm going to be using the NIV today. I know it's not the passion, but... Um, I like the traditional language uh, in the NIV. So that'll be the script. This, all the scriptures that I um, read today will be coming from the NIV. So uh, getting into Joseph's life, even in those two Gospels, as I said, there aren't too many verses that really identify who Joseph was. But we know who his ancestors were, both Gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew in chapter 1 and Luke in chapter 3, give us the ancestral line of Joseph. And the key there is he's of David's ancestry. Okay, and that plays an important part in the Christmas story, as we'll, we'll see, and all of you all re remember that. But, uh, so that's one part of his identity. He's in David's royal line. Scripture also tells us that he was righteous. Some of the translations uh, add to that, full of integrity. Some of them add the word just. The important thing, though, he, he was righteous. That word can mean, first of all, that he was zealous in keeping the law. Now, you've got to remember back then, the law was the attachment that the people had to God, really. So that's important. He was zealous in following the law. It also, the word righteous also means he was in right standing with God. I think that even plays a more important part, as we'll see as we go through here. So right standing with God. Um, 
He had an intimate relationship with God. We'll see as we go through here, when God spoke to him, there was no question whose voice it was. He knew it and he followed it, or he believed it and he obeyed it. Okay, so he knew God personally. I think one of the really neat things about Joseph, thanks to my good friend Bob Combs, Joseph was a man that God could trust. That's important. God was about to unveil his ultimate plan of redemption for mankind. It wasn't haphazard that he chose Joseph to be the protector of Mary and the provider for the family. God trusted Joseph. And I think that's important for us to understand. Okay. Um, he was compassionate and honorable. We'll see in just a moment when he finds out Mary's pregnant and it's not by him, he has some choices he has to make and he makes the compassionate and honorable choice. When he finds out that Mary's pregnant, he makes the decision to divorce her quietly. Um, and uh, let's see, I think, Susie, have we got that slide? Is that the Matthew 1, 18 and 19? I don't know if that's one that I gave her or not. Um, yeah, I'm going to read it. So um, familiar passage. This is from Matthew chapter 1, 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married. Pledged there, a better word is betrothed, but it means basically the same thing, and we're going to look at what that really means in just a moment. Um, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, there's that identity issue. Notice what else scripture says about him. They're betrothed, but it says Joseph, her husband. We'll talk about that in a minute. Because he was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. It's important for us to understand the process of marriage back in Jesus' time in Israel. Um, the first thing that happened was the groom approached the bride's father and asked for her hand in marriage. Sounds familiar, but it was really important because if he said no, that was it. Okay, so he approaches, the groom approaches the father and says, I want to marry your daughter. The next thing that happens is they negotiate a price. The groom had to pay a price to the family of the bride, theoretically, to compensate for her economic loss to the family. Well, anyway, it sounded like just a good way to exchange the money. Um, and then, listen, the, the couple were betrothed, and in that betrothal ceremony, they actually spoke public vows. And in the view of the people at that time, they were legally married at that point. But they didn't cohabitate for a year. During that time, the husband was, was to be um, building a home where the family would live and making sure that he could ensure their economic welfare after the formalization of the marriage. And it's important for us to understand, when it says she was pledged or betrothed to be married to Joseph, it actually means that at that point in time, she was re legally recognized as being married to Joseph. That's why I could go on to say Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Okay, so got that in your mind. Um, no cohabiting for a year. At the end of that year, there was a wedding feast. 
and they exchanged vows again publicly, and then the marriage was completed. So that was kind of the process of marriage back then. So when, we talk, when it talks about Joseph deciding to divorce her quietly, privately, there was only two ways that a betrothal could end. One was in death, and the other was with a divorce. Now, if the bride-to-be was pregnant not by her husband, that's adultery. If Joseph had elected to file, in a sense, a public suit for divorce, Mary faced possible stoning. I think Linda covered that last week. That was one of the risks that she faced. At the very least, there would have been a refund of the bride price. But Joseph was an honorable, compassionate man. And I think we see here, too, that he loved her. And so he decided he was just going to end the marriage privately. That means all he did was sign some papers. No stoning, no refund of money. Okay. Um, Timing-wise, I want to go back a moment. This, this, this portion of Matthew really has skipped an event. It skipped the angel visiting Mary. Okay, and we have to, have to go back to Luke, or forward to Luke, to, um, to see that, that part of the story. So, um, Mary is actually, when, after the angel appears, says, you're going to bear the Savior of the world. God is going to be his father. The next thing she does is she goes and visits her relatives, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth at this point in time is pregnant with John the Baptist. And we have that beautiful story where as soon as Mary greets Elizabeth, John the Baptist, the baby, jumps and leaps in Elizabeth's womb in joy because the mother of God, or the son of God, and the Son of God himself in Mary's womb has just come into his presence. That's just a, a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, but Scripture tells us that she stays there for three months. And then she returns home to Nazareth. So probably one of the first things she does when she gets back to Nazareth is, says, Joseph, we need to talk. Now, she's three months pregnant at this point in time. And you, can you imagine... Joseph receiving this message from her. Gosh, Joseph, I'm pregnant, not by another man, by God. An angel visited me. It's just really wonderful, isn't it? Uh, well, Joseph, loving her, decides that there will be a quiet divorce. But God intervenes. And I, I don't know if I've got this scripture up for the board or not, but this is really, to me, indicative or tells us everything we need to know about Joseph. Um, if I can find, oh, I gotta go back to Matthew again. Okay, so Matthew chapter one, starting with verse 20, I'm gonna read this. Um, he's just got this news, he's kind of made this, he's got this idea that he's gonna divorce her quietly. And verse 20 starts out like this, it says, but after he had considered this, we don't know how long it took him to consider this, I don't think it was very long, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son 
and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph has already heard the word from Mary that God is the father of the child. Now he hears it from an angel in a dream. And here's why I think Joseph had such a close relationship with God. There was no question in his mind what had just happened. Because if you drop down to verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel told him to do. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so we've got identity of Joseph, a righteous man, a man very close, living close to God. He believes God when God speaks to him, and he immediately acts with obedience to that word. Was he taking risks? Sure. Um, he risked disgrace. Um, he risked um, economic loss, potentially, in his, in, in his community. I, oh, you married a pregnant woman. What's going on here? We don't have to deal with any of that because Scripture never come, brings that up. But, you know, he did take some risk. But I'll repeat this probably several times. When you know the source that's asking you to take the risk, you believe and obey. Because the only real risk at that point, if the source is God, the only risk to you is not doing what God has just told you to do. So, Joseph, quick reaction, no problem at all. Now, we go back to Luke and the traditional Christmas story. So we know um, the, the Roman government has decided there's gonna be a census and, and um, Joseph has to take his family to Bethlehem, the city where David was born, because he, he's of the lineage of David. And so a very pregnant Mary and Joseph set out for this journey and they arrive and there's no place for them. And so whether you see it as a stable or the bottom room, room of a house where animals dwell, it, it doesn't matter. He's, there, there's not a good place for him to be born. Nonetheless, he, Jesus is born. The angels appear to the, to the shepherds. The shepherds come and, and worship the king. And it's right after that that we learn something more about Joseph. Because the next verse, after the Christmas story has kind of ended, it says, um, so that all could be done according to the law, when Jesus was eight days old, they had him circumcised and gave him officially his name of Jesus. So all could be done according to the law. The next verse tells us um, that Again, there was this legal requirement when a, a woman gave birth to a son. There was a 40-day period of, uh, where she had to wait, and then she had to go to the temple and go through a, a, a purification ceremony, which involved a sacrifice and that kind of thing. So, again, the verse, verses that cover that start out according to the law. When a woman gave birth to a son, she had... And so Joseph was a man of God. The law was the contact between God and man back there. So everything he did as Mary's husband and as Jesus' earthly father was according to the law. And it's important to us that he did that. All things had to be done according to the law back then. So they went to Jerusalem uh, for Mary's uh, purification and to present or dedicate. Firstborn son always had to be dedicated. The firstborn male of any species had to be dedicated to the Lord. So... 
and Mary's purification rite, Jesus is dedicated to the Lord. Um, and of course, while they're there, two prophets, Zechariah and Anna, speak over him, identifying him as the savior of the world. Um, kind of a nice, nice little thing uh, to be said. So, um, Verse 33 of chapter 2, this is chapter 2 in Luke, says this, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And I think it's neat. Scripture identifies Joseph as, or includes him in father and mother. Now, we all know that God was the father and is the father of Jesus. But Joseph was fulfilling that role on earth as his earthly father, and he was doing a good job at it. Okay, um, the next thing that happens, uh, we have, uh, it, it says that um, every year, Joseph would take his family to the temple. Oh, wait a minute, I wanna back up a minute. I just skipped something. I don't wanna skip this too important. Let's go back to Matthew again. And in chapter 2, we're introduced to some interesting people called Magi. Now, it, to me, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Luke mentions the angels. Matthew doesn't. Matthew mentions the Magi. Luke doesn't. And you think, well, wait a minute. There's an inconsistency there. Well, some of you may know that I'm a lawyer. And uh, so in the law, you know, you you could have four eyewitnesses to the same event. And the general concept of what had happened would be, would be the same for each one of them, but some of the details would vary. That's why in, witnesses are always interviewed initially alone, not with other witnesses. And so you have to make sure, is the whole story there? Is it the same? Yes, and some of the details vary. You know why? Because our eyes, our minds see things differently. It, how we see events take place are, are based often on our backgrounds, our history, maybe our own personal experiences. So those things register different. It's not that they're wrong. They just register different. So Matthew includes the Magi. Luke includes the shepherds. Is that an inconsistency? No, it's just a different eyewitness account. So good, let's go back to chapter two in Matthew. And uh, we have the story of the Magi. Now, it just tells us that they were wise men or scholars from the East, and they see a star in the East. And the only thing that I can figure out is that means when they're in the East, they see the star. Because if they're already in the East and they see a star in the East, they're going the wrong direction. Okay, so while they're in the East, they see this star appear. And they begin to follow it because they have this sense it's gonna lead them to the King of the Jews. Now, the star doesn't lead them to Bethlehem. Uh-oh. Stay, bear with me on this. I don't, this. There's going to be a tradition that's going to be stepped on here. But I think most of us already realize this. Um, but the star leads them to Jerusalem. And they enter Jerusalem and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews that's just been born. Word gets to Herod. He talks to the scholars and the priests and the teachers and everything. And says, what, what's this about? Where's the king of the Jews supposed to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem. So Herod calls, calls the wise men together and says, Bethlehem is where the baby has been born. Okay, so he sends them on their way. 
And all the time, and then he tells him, now, after you've had a chance to worship the king, come on back and tell me where you actually found him, because Herod intends to kill him. Okay, so do they go to Bethlehem? No, they don't. Jesus isn't there anymore. Here's a question for you. There's, a four, there's that 40-day waiting period before Mary could go through her purification rite and Jesus be dedicated to the temple. Where was the family during that 40 days? Well, I believe they went back to Nazareth. Why would they stay in a place where there was no room for them, Bethlehem? Why would they stay in a place that was away from their home and away from Joseph's business? I don't think they did. I think as soon as Mary could travel and the baby could travel, they went back home. Why wouldn't they? Joseph res resumed his business. So here they are in Nazareth. When the 40 days are passed, they go to Jerusalem, come back to Nazareth when it's done. So here are the wise men, the magi, and Herod tells them, oh, the, the king of the Jews was born in Bethlehem. And he sends them on their way to Bethlehem, but they don't go there. Um, it says, after they had heard, this is uh, verse 9, chapter 2, Matthew, verse 9. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now notice the use of the word child there. Most scholars today, even the good ones, believe that Jesus was, was several months old when the Magi actually visited him. Okay, so he's referred to as a child here. And the next verse, verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now think about that for a minute. This star led them to Bethlehem, apparently. I think it went away at that point because they didn't know where to go next. They had to ask the religious authorities where to go. And they were told, go to Bethlehem. They start out, but that's not where the star leads them. I think then, as soon as they start out from, from, from Jerusalem, the star reappears to them, and it goes right where Jesus is in Nazareth. Because th this next verse, verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Well, if they've been following the star all along, why would they be so surprised or overjoyed that all of a sudden it's appeared again? I think it appears again to get them to Nazareth, where Jesus is. It goes on in verse 11 um, to say, on coming to the house, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshiped him. So I know the wise men are there. We know they visited Jesus. It's not critical to our salvation whether they be we believe that they visited Jesus in Bethlehem or Nazareth, but I think it makes more sense that they probably visited him in Nazareth. Okay, of course we know that they went back home by another route. They didn't go back to Jerusalem, and here it has all the male children, two years old or younger, in Bethlehem and its vicinity killed, because he wants to make sure he kills Jesus, which he isn't able to do, because he doesn't really know where Jesus is. But at that point in time, it's very likely that he could find out where Jesus was. You know, there's going to be somebody in Bethlehem that when they're questioned by the soldiers, that, oh yeah, that couple they went back to, let's see, they went back to Nazareth, that was their hometown or something. So... In verse 13, again, the story of the Magi, they've just left, they've worshiped Jesus, given him these gifts, and now they leave. And it says this, when they had gone, the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt 
Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. The next verse says this. So when he got up, excuse me, so he got up and took the child and his mother during the night, the same night when the angel, when the angel visits and says, you're in trouble, get out of here, go to Egypt, flee, because Herod's going to try to kill Jesus. You know, he doesn't wait around two or three days. That very night, as soon as he wakes up during the night, he takes the family and he flees to Egypt. And eventually, um, we don't really know how long he stayed there, at least not, not according to scripture, but uh, eventually an angel appears to him in a dream again and says, Herod's dead. You can return to Israel now. Okay, and there's probably another appearance in a dream, but I'm not going to talk about that one. But um, uh, they, they go back to Nazareth. Okay. Um, Joseph knew God. He knew the voice. He knew what the angel, that this angel was an angel from the Lord. And so he believed and obeyed immediately. He was fulfilling his job, the calling that God had given him to be Jesus's father. And he was really doing it well. Okay, I want to stay in, uh, or go back to Luke again. Actually, we're, we're done with Matthew. Um, just a couple quick verses in, in Luke. Uh, that just show us again that, man, that Joseph made sure everything was done according to the law. Um, it says, um, they went to Jerusalem every year for the, 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 feast, the feast of the Passover. Now, we don't know if Jesus went with them from year one. I, 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 I doubt that they had many babysitters available to him, so they probably took him. But we do know that when Jesus was 12, they took him. And they stayed for the feast, and when the feast was over, they headed back to Nazareth, and they travel a whole day before they realize Jesus is not with them. And so um, they go back and search for him. And I think it's really neat. They, they, they finally find him. He's, he's in the temple. He's, he's speaking with, questioning and answering scholars and teachers. And it says, the scholars and teachers are amazed at the depth of understanding that Jesus had. Okay, um, eventually, Mary and Joseph find him. And, 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 and this is uh, uh, Luke 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I think it's interesting the way Mary uses the word father there. She knows who the real father is, at least we hope after 12 years that that kind of an event she'd still be remembering. But Joseph has been serving as Jesus's earthly father and she identifies him in that way. Okay, so Jesus replies, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So we know that Joseph was thought of as being Jesus's father, but not to Jesus anymore. We don't know when Jesus, when the realization came to him, when God revealed, when his real father said, Joseph's not really your father, I am. But at this point he knows, because he says, I gotta be in my father's house. And he knows who his father is. So um, the neat thing is, he doesn't stay there. He goes back with them and it says, uh, he was obedient to them and he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Okay, um, 
We don't know when Jesus, excuse me, we don't know when Joseph died. Scripture would seem to indicate that he died before Jesus began his earthly ministry uh, in, in, when, in his early 30s. Um, he's really never mentioned again after this passage in the Bible, except one time. I want to get to that in just a moment. Um, I really believe that Joseph lived a long time after Jesus, is, when he's 12 years old and in the temple. I think there are a couple good reasons that we can assume that that was true. One is, Jesus is referred to as a carpenter, so his father, his earthly father, had to teach him that trade. That wouldn't have been something he learned just perfectly at age 12. I think Joseph was probably alive into Jesus' 20s. There's another reason that I think that's true, and this is the other time that Joseph is mentioned in Scripture. This is in John chapter 1. Jesus is calling his disciples. And starting at verse 45, it says this. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, these are young men talking. I mean, there's Philip and Nathanael and, and the others. You know, they're in their 20s or 30s. And they know by reputation that Jesus was the son of Joseph. So I don't think they'd have known that if Joseph died soon after Jesus was 12 years old. I think that they've had, that knowledge has grown. They probably even know Joseph, uh, or many of them anyway. So again, our salvation doesn't depend on, but I think Jesus, that Joseph lived a long time. I think he lived well into Jesus' 20s. And then he just disappears from scripture. One of the Bible commentaries that I read when I was kind of looking at Joseph here said this about him, and I think it's a good summary uh, about Joseph's life. While Mary is commendable for her role in Jesus' birth, that's kind of an understatement. Uh, while Mary was, is commendable for her role in Jesus' birth, Joseph is similarly impressive. He was ethically upright, compassionate toward the woman he intended to divorce, and was in control of his libido enough to abstain from relations with her until after Jesus' birth. Joseph is the forgotten hero of Christmas. Well, you can take that as you, as you want. Um, I, I think there's some really great lessons we can learn from Joseph's life, though. Um, was he a risk taker? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, every time you receive what you believe is a word from the Lord, you have to take a step of faith, and that, that step always involves the potential for bad and the potential for good. So in a sense, there's a risk to take that step. But I think Joseph knew, was so close to the heart of God, he never saw any risk here. He, sim he simply heard and he obeyed. Amen. And uh, that's a good lesson for us. Yeah. Uh, how do we know when God speaks to us? We live our lives as close as we can to him every day. I'll bet every one of us have heard and know the voice of God. Okay, so you hear the voice, you believe, and you obey. So the second lesson here is live close to God. Learn to know his voice. I don't think that's a message that any of us are surprised at. Um, So if we're faced with a choice of faith, 
what do we do? Well, I think the very first step, of course, is to identify or determine what the source of that choice is. If it's God, we believe and step forward. And I suppose we can consider the risks, but again, I want to repeat, I think the big risk is not doing what God's called us to do. Um, okay, so um, another lesson we can learn from Joseph's life, you know, he's betrothed to Mary. He's thinking, boy, what a good life I've got ahead of me. She's a beautiful woman. I love her. We're going to have children. I'm, I'm, I'm going to build a home for us, and, and I, I'm a carpenter. I can provide for her. Um, uh, we may grow wealthy enough that when our children are old enough, they'll just be so supporting us, and we can live a life of leisure. He's got all these plans, and they get very abruptly changed. So what's our lesson here? Be flexible. Be willing to change your plans if God calls you to do that. Okay, so Joseph gives us a good example there. His, his plans are changed several times. And he adapts, he's flexible, and he goes with the flow of the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, another lesson here is do what you're called to do. Be who you're called to be. God called Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father. And you know what? He excelled at that. He did everything he was supposed to do. He did it according to the law, according to the law. God speaks to him. He gets up in the middle of the night and leaves. So I, th I think it's really a valuable lesson here. God calls us all. And we can decide, do I want to take the risk of doing what God's called me to do? Do I want to take the risk of being who God's called me to be? And I think all of us want to answer, absolutely. The old army campaign slogan, be all that you can be, that's, that's our goal here. We want to be all that God calls us to be. And we want to be that and do those things that God calls us to do as well as we can. Well, that's my message for the day. I think Joseph is a pretty amazing guy. And there's a lot there that you could miss. Sometimes you think of Joseph as being kind of the expendable part of Christmas. But he wasn't. He was a man called by God. He did everything God called him to do. And he did it with excellence. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.